Well, hey everyone. <clears throat> Welcome to episode 161 of I've Stopped, Collaborate, and Listen. This week features an incredible landscape photographer hailing from Western Australia, Christian Fletcher. Christian was the very first winner of the International Landscape Photographer of the Year Award in 2014, and his work continues to inspire many people across the globe. Christian is especially well known for his absolutely incredible aerial photography and for owning and operating a fabulous gallery. Christian and I had a wonderful conversation this week and covered a wide variety of topics, including a walk down a path of history in the industry of landscape photography, Christian's style of photography and how he creates unique and personal imagery, the business of owning a photography gallery, especially in COVID-19 territory, Christian's online training website, and much, much more. Over on Patreon this week, Christian and I talk about his belief that all great landscape photographs have to have perfect light. Well, speaking of Christian's training website, he is offering listeners of the podcast a 50% discount on a subscription. If you go to his training webpage, ChristianFletcherTraining.com, and add a subscription to the cart, you will be able to use the clever discount code Shrimp on the Barbie, which will bring the cost down to about 30 US dollars. Christian has over 60 tutorial videos on the website that show hands on how he edits his photos. Well, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's get to the show. Awesome. Well, Christian Fletcher, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's my pleasure, Matt. Thank you for asking me, actually. It's uh, it's nice to be in uh, good company with some of the other Aussies that you've uh, interviewed in the past. So uh, I know I know all of those guys that you, you mentioned. Um, yeah, Scott Jono McCurk. Scott, and, Janice. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, fantastic. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm one of the tribe now. It's good. Yeah, it's um, I found it's, you know, because of the time difference, it's always a little bit challenging getting people from down under on the show but yeah. um it's always a good time yeah yeah and we you know we have to speak a little bit slower too for for the american audience because i believe <laughs> we're very hard to understand well i am especially apparently i tend to um talk fast and mumble so i, I do have some american friends that find it very difficult to understand me some of the time so i'll go i'll go easy on the on the slang on the aussie slang Oh, uh, well, you know, every once in a while you should definitely drop just, just a weird word just to keep me on my toes. <laughs> yeah, oh, we've got plenty of them. There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. know. Yeah. Well, cool. So I guess for people that maybe aren't familiar with you and your photography, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, okay. Well, look, I've been photographing for 30 years. I started out when I moved. I, I live in a small town in the southwest of Western Australia, so there's a there's a the city the main city of Western Australia is called Perth and Perth is one of the most isolated cities in the world. It's um, and I, I'm 300k south of of that. So if you go south from where I live now, you'll be in Antarctica in about 2,000, just over 2,000 kilometers, I believe. So oh wow. Um, so which is like what's that? Three? I don't know how many miles that is, but yeah, you'll have to get the converters out at home. Work that out, <laughs> but uh, um, so yeah, I'm in a very small little town, 
with a population of 4,000 people, but it's it's a tourist area, so it swells in the busy times to, you know, it can be 50,000 people uh, in the on you know in the busy weeks and stuff like that. So uh, I've I started out down here, started my photography career, moved down, thought, what am I going to do? I I had left school and went into the public service, so I was working in the government doing clerical work, and then. Uh, I, I hated that with a passion. It was just the worst thing I could ever imagine doing. Like I would go get in the lift at work and I'd go up to my office and I would just have panic attacks and just dread every time I walk into that place. Not because it was a horrible environment and the people were terrible, but it's just I hated that work and it just was draining my life force. So when I um, left that, um, I went into just being a bum for quite a while trying to work out what I was going to do. And then um, by chance, uh, a girlfriend at the time, her uncle was um, selling his video library. He had this really cheap little rundown video library in a small um, suburb in Perth. And um, so I, I spoke to my sister and we bought that and, and started our our career in renting videos back in the day. Oh, <laughs> like uh, VHS? Yeah, yeah, VHS. So, um, <laughs> awesome. We, yeah, so I, I was uh, I went from the public service into being a proprietor of a video store, and I kind of enjoyed that because I was also surfing and sailboarding a lot at the time. So my I had it worked out quite well with my sisters. She would do the day shift, and I'd go off surfing and sailboarding, and then I'd come and do the night shift. So and then she'd go home. So I, I literally was doing that for five or five or more years, and I surfed and sailboarded so much in that time that. Um, yeah, it was it was just the best lifestyle. But then videos became um, the big stores started to come in, and the blockbusters and all that started to come in. And then and and we were just a very small store, so we were starting to get squeezed out by people that were putting in you know multiple copies of the same title. You know, um, yeah, they get 20, 20 copies, and and we just couldn't compete with that. So eventually, we we sold up, and um, that's when I moved down south. And I thought, well, I've got no money because we're uh, you know. We, we actually borrowed some money from mum and dad to to help pay for that, and we paid them back. And then, so I came out and I had a had an old Holden car, which I don't know if you guys know what Holdens are, but they're General Motors sort of thing. Um, okay, <laughs> a real old bomb that was worth fifteen hundred bucks. And I had um, surfboard and sailboard and some clothes and and a dog. And I rocked up to my parents' place down here in this small town called Dunsborough and uh, proceeded to move back in with them. So I was. 25 i think at the time and um that was back in uh, 1990 i think it was and um uh, yeah so i came into this little town where there was no people and um you know no opportunities but i thought well i'm going to become a photographer because i quite like photography i had been taking photos before that um i i had a surfing accident and um, i couldn't uh, get in the water and I was on holidays from work so I had three weeks to do whatever I wanted to do sort of thing um, but I couldn't surf so that was that was the the big bummer so I picked up the, the camera that we had lying around and started taking photos and then really kind of enjoyed that process and after three weeks of doing that I still wanted more so but then I was doing this video library um, and well later on I was doing the video library and, and the camera sort of went away I was I was doing stuff at my old work at, in the public service. I was the um, unofficial photographer at work, but 
yeah, years went by and, and then uh, when I moved down south, I thought, oh, I might pick up the camera again and have a go. So I'll, I'll become a professional photographer. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to take beautiful landscape photographs and I'm going to sell them in a gallery. That was my <laughs> that was my aim. That was the what I was going to do. So I came, I went and bought a camera. It was a Nikon 801S, a semi-pro camera. It was came with a few lenses and it was 1500 bucks. It was just a cheap, cheap little thing. But at the time, I, that was all the money in the world. You know, we, we're talking 30 years ago. And I thought, wow, that's an expensive camera. But I soon realized about six months later that it was not going to give me the results I needed. So I ended up going, biting the bullet and you know, getting a medium format film camera. So I went to a Bronica SQAI and um, and that's when my work started to sort of look different to everyone else's because I was shooting medium format. But I was doing all my own black and white processing. So I was rolling my own film, developing, printing my own uh, pictures. And, um, and then I started this business basically from scratch um my brother had a, a mexican restaurant in town so at tex-mex you know so um you know i was the dish pig uh, which is a dishwasher i'm not sure if you call <laughs> yeah so you know the, the dishwasher is the person that has the least respect in in any restaurant they so they just throw dishes at you and just tell you to clean faster faster you know more dishes we need so uh, I, so i did that and i was working part-time uh, doing that, but my my brother let me put some of my pictures on the wall in, in the restaurant. So I, I I did some black and whites and got them framed and sold one on the first night, and it was such a buzz. I remember just going, "Wow, I can't believe someone actually likes my photos enough to buy one." Uh, you know, it was like a it was a twelve by sixteen in a frame, and it was I think I sold it for eighty dollars, eighty bucks. That you know, frame wow. it was so right. cheap. And, um, you know, if I took my expense out of that and tax, well, actually I didn't have to pay any tax because I never made any profit for the first, God knows, 10 years. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a struggle. So then I worked with a mate in a picture framers um, and he had some wall space and he had those horrible old prints that you see. It was a typical framing shop. with the, It was just run down, dirty, <coughs> dusty old place and, you know, uh, I was working for him and I thought, I said, look, can I hang out some of my pictures in your, in your front? front of your shop and he goes yeah okay and then I sold a couple I said look can I have that other wall and said yeah yeah so I was paying him rent for that and then eventually I rented the, the whole front of the shop and we shared a counter we shared a staff member and then we he worked out the back I worked at the front pretty much and um, and that was quite a good relation that relationship and that uh, good uh, um, fact that we could share a lot of the expenses the rent and all that so um, that became my first gallery and that was, uh, you know, that's a 20, 20 odd years ago, I think, when, when I started my first gallery. And then since then, we, uh, I partnered with my brother and his wife, and then I uh, got married, and my wife came on, and the four of us, we started up uh, three other galleries. So at one stage, we had four galleries going, and it was quite a big enterprise. Uh, we had about 15 staff members, and it was oh, all wow. ticking along, and you know, it's all going along pretty nicely, of course. And then, um, then the GFC hit and slowed everything down, and eventually we've pulled back. And uh, because we have our one gallery here in Dunsborough now, where we live, which was much easier to manage, so the other ones we've closed down because they were further away from us. So we had to travel, and you, you, you tend to not put as much effort into those other ones. So yeah, so then um, now I'm, I'm currently in, in my Dunsborough gallery with with my wife and I, and um, we uh, yeah we're happy. It's a beautiful gallery space and. You know, life's good. Uh, so that's pretty much how you know my a really quick, basic rundown of of uh, my business career in photography. 
And yeah, um, one of the <clears throat> one of the things I read on your website was that you had six six hard years of of doing commercial and portrait and wedding mm-hmm. photography, and you were about to give up. What uh, I guess a couple of questions I had around that was why were you wanting to give up? I hated it. it I was because I this is back in the days of film, so I had really no f- instant feedback, and there was no no one teaching photography back then. You could get some books on lighting and stuff like that, portraits, but they're all very basic. The ones I saw were all from, you know, Kodak and things like this. And um, so I didn't really know what I was doing. I basically got a camera from day one and within a week I was a I was a professional photographer in, in our small town and, and I had no <laughs> idea. I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I just fudged it most of the time and, and just managed to get, get through but then I was getting more important jobs and people were requiring lighting and, and I just didn't do that and I had no idea about that so um, I was doing weddings I hated weddings because I was so nervous about it you know and I was so concerned that people wouldn't be happy with their shots that it put more pressure on me and I ended up doing about 40 weddings in that time and and that was enough and I you know I, I just hated photography it was like I'm not doing what I set out to do which was to be a landscape photographer and, and take beautiful pictures of our of our coast and our area because we've got a, a beautiful area where we live, and um, and that was my aim and to sell them in the gallery. But I lost sight of that and went and did all the other stuff, the weddings and the portraits and the commercial work. And uh, my girlfriend at the time said, "Look, I'd, I'd love to get away and let's let's go on a trip." And I said, "Yeah, cool, let's do it. I'm I'm quitting anyway." So I basically um, quit photography and uh, we went on this trip for three months around Australia. We didn't end up going all around, all the way around Australia. We only did the bottom, bottom half. But on the second day of this trip that we started out, pulled into a small town and and went to this gallery that this lady had set up in a small town called Esperance, and she was doing exactly what I wanted to do, what I had planned, uh, planned to do. And so I was like, well, she can do it. Why, why have I not done it? Why am I? I'm in a, I'm in a bigger town. Uh, uh, you know, if she can make a go of it in this small town, then I should be able to do it in my town. So three months later, I got back and I gave up all the commercial work and started to sell pictures in the local markets and um, and I didn't have a gallery at that stage. Um, and, and uh, yeah, worked, everything I did was about landscapes. But again, it was still back before digital. So I was I was shooting all my old uh, film stock for my wedding days. So I was using you know VPS and VPH, you know Kodak VPS and VPH, and you know these these films that really aren't you know for landscapes; they're more for portraits and stuff. And um, so I, I, I and then I would send these films off, and they would go to a lab in in Melbourne and get printed the the negs and the prints back, and it would take four weeks, four weeks before I got anything back. So it's like this is this is not working and. Then I started doing transparencies and then someone said to me, oh, <clears throat> look, we can do a digital print for you if you like. I said, what do you mean a digital print? Oh, we, well, we scan the, the transparencies and then we make a print from that. And I was going, how does that work? I didn't, had no idea how that, what that even was. So um, I remember getting my first digital print and going, wow, this is this is quite good. This is pretty good quality. <laughs> you know? And that was back on a uh, Pegasus printer or a Lambda printer. I can't remember which one it was. Um, you know, So it was still a chemical process, but they were digitizing it and, um, and then somehow using these special printers, but as it turns out, all those have all faded now. All those prints that were done on the Pegasus printer are all 
they were just terrible. Like in 20 years later, they're just about faded to nothing. So <clears throat> that's come back to bite us in the bum. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, I still look, I still walk around town and look in some offices, buildings, and there's my old pitch, pictures from 20 years ago that are, you know, they're just awful. And I was going, oh, every time I cringe when I walk past, like, oh, I must go in there and, and get those replaced. So, um, but yeah, so then um, I, I did a trip in 2000. I did a trip to America, and at that point, I was shooting with a Fuji GX617 um, panoramic camera. So that was shooting a you know, six by seventeen um, centimeter negative uh, transparency. So I, I went to America for four months, and I decided with my girlfriend, and we decided to travel around and and see the country. <clears throat> and I saw so much. We went to every, well, uh, we went to as many uh, state and national parks as we could. In that time, so we did about thirty different state and national parks, all the big ones, obviously, and then all the small ones, and camped out. We we bought a van and just drove around and slept in the back of the van. Had some really amazing experiences in America, but um, it was on. It was uh, there's these little turning points that happened in my career, and obviously one was getting for a, you know, the Fuji camera, and, and obviously buying the better gear so that you you works a little bit. Um, you know, it's got a little bit of an edge over what most people are doing with 35 mil. And um, the other one was going to America and seeing um, Michael Fatali's gallery in um, uh-huh. Zion um, National Park there. Um, and, um, I mean, I know Michael Fatali's got a bit of a reputation and um, for setting things on fire, but um, at the time... <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah, this was before he... Um, before he did that, I think, and uh, I didn't know him as a person or, or what, but I just went to his gallery and I saw these prints that he had, these zebra cream prints, and um, I was like, wow, I'm giving up. I, I cannot achieve this quality. <clears throat> I don't even know how he does that. Um, I came out of his gallery completely depressed and ready to give up. Oh, wow. And, and um, <clears throat> But then I thought, you know, I spent a bit more time, kept taking my photos, and I thought, no, no, I can't let this beat me. There's got to be a way to do this. So um, while I was in America in the last final days, you know, four months later, I've, I was doing some research on um, scanners, you know, film scanners, and I came across the Imacon scanner, um, which would allow me to scan my transparencies into a computer and then start using Photoshop to to edit them and, and make them look better and so on and so forth. So that's when... Um, that was a turning point when I came back and I bought the Imacon and, and then I could start, I started having control over my, my work and, um, and that started to digitize the film. And that was, a, that was, that was brilliant. You know, that, you know, without that trip to America, I would never have really realized how average my photography was, and, you know, and what good photography was. So, um, would you, yeah. would you say that before that you thought you had kind of reached the pinnacle or? I thought that I, my photos were okay. Um, uh-huh. and, but I, but at that point I was still just creating transparencies. I was, I was doing very little printing or no, next, next to no printing. Um, then all the prints I was doing were <clears throat> from, you know, negatives, you know, film, old film stock from weddings. And, um, so it was just, it was average. The quality was terrible and, um, yeah, it was just not good. I didn't realize that the things could be so much better. Um, so yeah, but, uh, you know, America was, it's been a, you know, favorite place of mine for a long time. You know, I think you guys over there are so, so lucky 
um, to be in a country that has so much natural beauty and and other things as well. You've got such diversity, and um, you know here in Australia we've got we've got natural beauty as well, but. Man, we've got a big country with a whole lot of nothing in the middle. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's desert, desert, and you know there's no roads. It's inaccessible. Uh, not that I think that's bad, but um, uh, you know you can drive over here for for days and not see much. Um, right. It's very very flat. Um, but you know, America, every turn of the road, there's a different mountain range or hills or whatever lakes. Um, it's just just incredible. So you guys are very spoiled. But I also like um, not just natural stuff. I like urban stuff as well. <clears throat> so America has that beautiful, old, grungy, decayed, um, apocalyptic um, landscapes. So those scenes of um, that atomic era um, buildings and um, architecture, I, I just love all that. That stuff. So yeah. American American towns are for me are like a treasure chest of of opportunity. Just photographing banal urban scenes, which is some of my favorite things to do. Um, yeah, you guys. Yeah, are, there's definitely like, a lot to photograph here for sure. Um, yeah, I was. Yeah, I wanted to go back to something you said before around you know how you. It it almost sounds like that you know, creating the idea of creating your own gallery and, and show, showing your work almost gave you a sense of purpose and meaning as an artist. And I'm curious if that resonates with you at all. Yeah. It look, I think as a photographer, <clears throat> excuse me, as an artist, I'm sorry, I've got a, um, a bit of a scratchy throat at the moment. I don't know why, but it may have something to do with the scotch I drank last night. And I was, I was self-medicating because someone said, you know, if you if you want to kill the coronavirus bug, you um, you drink lots of um, alcohol and uh, and that helps. So I was um, I was updating my website last night and and I had one too many scotches and you know I was enjoying it at the time, but boy, I feel rotten today. <laughs> so, I was going to say if uh, if that's how you beat it, then I'm I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I'm good to go. Yeah, well, I actually haven't. I haven't had it, and um, we haven't got much of it over here in Australia. It's pretty, pretty good. How are you guys going there anyway? Are you are you in an area where it's a little bit prevalent, or uh, not? Not down here, not so much. I mean, we have about fifty cases in a county of fifty thousand, but it's pretty rural where I'm at. Yeah, um, on the front range of Colorado, it's a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of an interesting thing. You know, I think the, if you're in a really urban area with lots of density i think you're more susceptible just because if you think about it even if you know if you live in a giant high rise with 100 100 200 300 400 people mm-hmm. you're touching things that other people have touched all day so yeah yeah that's right whereas i'm i'm just in my house with my family so yeah oh that's nice yeah sorry about i've deflected the question a little bit i'm actually yeah, and that's so true. It's like in our town, and we think we've got one case in our town. Um, but um, you know, because we're all locked down here now, like I'm assuming you sure. guys are all locked down. Yeah, you know, I'm looking down our street because my gallery, I can see down the street, and um, I can see one person walking up the road, and not one car in the car park. And normally, right. in the normal time, this would be full. All the roads would be full. So it's, yeah, it's I actually quite like it. But um, you're getting back to your your question. Sorry about that little segue. You're good. Actually, I have it. Ask me more about that because I've got a good good story to tell you about it. my mate who who ended up in um, 
He was on the Greg Mortimer. I'm not sure if you heard of the the boat, the Greg Mortimer, which was off Uruguay. Oh, um, just okay. That just had, had, it just uh, anyway. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute because um, that's a funny story. Um, but yeah, look, yeah, look, having um, a gallery space allows you to to do you know, to make the prints that you've always wanted to make. And and as a photographer, we we should make prints. We should show our work in that way because it really shows the craft. Uh, so much better when you when you see a big print in a gallery in a gallery space framed beautifully and all that. It, it um, it's the the culmination of all your efforts and it's the, the end result that um, is so is so important to have because you know I often think that you know my photos are okay. I, I don't think I'm the best photographer in the world, and I but I see people that have do some amazing stuff that you never see their prints or you never see their work. They they have it on their hard drives or they have it on their iPad or on their phone and they'll show you it's on Instagram or Facebook or whatever and um they never you never get to see it in you know in the flesh in a in a print and the gallery allows me to to do that I've been you know I've had my own galleries for 20 years and this space we got here now is it's two story joint um lots of lots of room you know I can display you know 60 big pictures at a time and um we've got all sorts of different sizes and we, we have just matted stuff that people can get at a cheap price. But basically, yeah, it's a it's a commercial gallery and I would hate to, to call it a souvenir, uh, you know, that we sell souvenirs, we sell art, but um, we have something for everyone um, in price ranges and I think that's why we've been successful. Um, and also um, the other thing about our gallery is that a mate said, said it to me, he says, it's, it's sticky if uh, and that's not because we don't clean the surfaces um it's um people come in and they will spend a bit of time there because you you don't walk in and look down one wall look around the corner and then up the other wall and then walk out you you have a journey to go on because you've got upstairs and you've got um little spaces and, and the, the walls are in the way so you can't just see uh, the whole space in one view you have to explore so and we've got lots of little things to look at. We've got other merchandise as well, you know, scarves and pillows and uh, stuff like the cushions, covers and um, uh, other things, cards and books. So we have a lot of stuff for people to, to buy if they want to. Sure. Um, so that's been great. I mean, I, it allows me to not only just have prints on the wall but to have my work displayed in other ways and, um, you know, it's it's yeah it's great. I think we've got about five or six different books that we've produced and in the time and yeah yeah that having your own gallery is is where it's at. I think I know the answer to this question, but have you seen a big uh, shift um, in terms of your ability to operate a gallery um, over the last I don't know six or seven years, or have you seen it actually uh, mm-hmm. improve? Uh, yeah, I guess yeah. the Good current question. situation withstanding. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, yeah um look it's a great question because yes we have seen a difference and i think it was the first gfc that pretty much um uh, wiped out a lot of galleries uh because um people just didn't have the money before that we were ticking along quite nicely we had the four galleries going and uh, you know we'd make good sales and people would be eyeing everyone was happy that no one seemed to think about anything that was coming and when the gfc hit um we dropped six figures, you know, in a month sort of thing. It was like bang, just went from good to bad. 
And I mean, obviously, this this where we are now. But look, after, after the GFC, you know, we 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 were up and down. It was, um, yeah, we were just scratching together enough to make to keep some galleries open. Mm-hmm. And eventually, and when you say GFC, you mean global financial crisis? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. GFC. So, um, yeah, that's all. Yeah, that was a real big one. And I remember when it happened. Yeah, things were quite quite difficult. So. Uh, but that we've had all sorts of ebbs and flows. That the, the economy here is based around mining. You know, Australians just love digging stuff up and uh, <laughs> you know and selling it. And, and we're the uh, some of the biggest exporters of coal in the world. You know, we are the the pariahs of the world. Our our government is a disgrace. Um, you know, maybe our economy is built on selling stuff that's going to kill us all eventually. And um, um, we just can't get off the coal. We're trying to, but we could be a huge superpower with the renewables because we've got so much sunshine and so much space um, right. that we could we could do anything. We could create hydrogen and ship it around the world, but our, our government's too conservative and um, sticking to the old good old, old old ways, you know. Um, but yeah, so our economy is built on on mining, and when the boom mining's booming, we we boom, and when it's not, then it goes down uh, because a lot of these people that are in the mining industry they spend up big and then. Um, then all of a sudden they haven't got any money, and then eh, everything gets sold off, and yeah, they start again. Um, Interesting. So yeah, but um, uh, but this this current thing we're going through. I mean, our gallery's closed. First time in twenty years I've had to close my gallery, uh, and and it's been closed for three weeks now, and we're just basically relying on any internet sales. And it's my wife and I. We've got staff. We had to stand them down, but they'll come back as soon as we can open the doors again. But now it's just my wife and I just um, trying to maintain the gallery and keep it and get you know, fill the orders, do all the stuff that we have to do to to keep people, um, um, you know, get their people their prints. Um, and you're printing all of your own work, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. I've got. I'm in my office at the moment at the gallery. Um, it's a nice space. I've got um, my computers and I've got two printers. We got the Epson um, Shawcolor. Uh, 270 and the 170 so we've got um, a 64 inch printer and a 44 inch printer and it's like man i've got the best setup because it's pretty much what they use at most of the pro labs and uh, i can run out a 60 inch wide print uh, for as long as i want for you know all day if i want to um uh, i've run out of money because i'd the paper's expensive, but but um, I was going to say, you know, how much how much does it cost you on average to print like a forty by sixty? Um, ooh, I hope my uh, customers aren't going to be <laughs> listening. To this oh, look, it's probably not that not a great deal. Uh, inks and paper, depending on the paper you use, forty by sixty, just a meter and a half. It's probably about seventy or eighty dollars. Right, right. Okay. Well, we obviously. Through. The printing cost is only a very small part of what you're charging. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, there's um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, staff wages. We've got rent, and I mean, it, this this gallery that we have, it's a it's a beautiful gallery, but we've got our doors shut, and it's still costing us just under three thousand dollars a week just to have the doors shut. That's in um, rents and strata fees and um, insurances, um, electricity water bills all that sort of stuff so it's a it's a a heap of money to to have to um fork out when very little is coming back in so it's a difficult time so we 
you know, we've, we've got a buffer for about five or six months and then after that, who knows, we're, we're in uncharted territory, then, then we right. can't afford to even keep the doors shut. So that's that's a scary proposition, but I don't think it's going to run out that long. I mean, Australia is getting pretty we're pretty on top of this coronavirus thing, um, right? So hopefully we won't have a problem. But hey, I got to tell you that story about my mate. So this is a guy that you you should interview. Uh, his name's Peter Eastway, and Peter is um, being photographed. Like yeah, he's before. yeah he's pretty famous over here. He's really well known. Um, he um, He's done workshops all over the world with all sorts of instructors like, you know, Art Wolf and guys like that, a lot of you know, the top guys from around the world. Um, but he's a funny guy. Anyway, he's just come back from Antarctica and um, he did back-to-back trips and he was on this boat called the Greg Mortimer and he did the first trip to Antarctica with, his, with the guests and then that came back and they picked up some more people and they were off to Antarctica again. But they got to Antarctica and... and um, Someone on the boat uh, came down with a, you know, coronavirus-like symptoms, and um, of course that was, you know, that was kind of the end of that. It's things started to go, you know, unravel from there, and um, they eventually made some decisions and, and cut the trip short. Uh, they were supposed to go to South Georgia Island and the Falklands, I think, but they uh, weather was getting bad. People were getting more people were getting sick, so they they cut it short and. Um, Went back to Uruguay where they were going to fly out of, I believe, um, or it might have been Ushuaia. Some one of the places they had to go back to, but they were told, "No, sorry, you're not getting off." So they sent them up to Uruguay uh, because other people had got out through there. Anyway, he he got coronavirus, and um, I said to him, "I said, um, oh, so what was it like?" And he goes, "Oh, geez, mate, it was rough." He says, "I was on oxygen for three days," and wow. um, and he said, "But he said the thing is that they only had um, one one." kit for the whole boat and he says all these people we said we're all lining up and you go and have a couple of puffs and then you go to the back of the line and then oh my gosh (laughs) and he said and you know the worst thing is there was all these american ladies pushing in you know and they just kept pushing in and you know i need i need oxygen i need oxygen and i started to think hang on because he's a real kidder I says, you're kidding, aren't you? And he says, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had this vision of um, everyone on the boat all lining up in this line, and, you know, all having a couple of uh, puffs on the yeah, oxygen and then going to the back of the line. <laughs> it, was a, it was quite hilarious. And uh, so I said, what actually did happen to you? So I, he said, I had a headache for two hours and that was it. And then so that's all he got. That's, he, that's all he experienced. And he said then, um, then he spent the next 16 days uh, confined to his um, his room on the boat, which was downstairs with a porthole window. It wasn't even an opening window. So he, he was in there for 16 days before he got off and they finally managed to get them off um, just a few days ago, flew them out on a special chartered flight. It was $15,000 uh, per person uh, for that flight to get back to Australia. Um, so big, big numbers, but uh, I'm not sure who's paying for that at this stage. Um, but right. now he's he, he lives in Sydney, but they sent they the flight was going to Melbourne, so he's now in Melbourne in quarantine for another fourteen days, locked in a hotel with guards, basically not letting you leave your room oh, um, wow. for, for another fourteen days. And then he's going to get in his in a car and drive back up to Sydney where he lives. So yeah, he's um, <laughs> you know his two trips to Antarctica have cost him a lot of time sitting around. So. We're actually interviewing him tomorrow on, on our podcast. So, but, That's um, cool. Yeah, I, I definitely want to talk to you about um, 
your podcast uh, later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did want to spend some time uh, just kind of discussing your work. Um, Cause you know, you've been, you've been at this for a few minutes, um, you know, 30, 30 years, you know, big, no big deal. And um, I've noticed uh, just kind of looking through your work that it has a very, well, first of all, you have like a very diverse, um, what can I say, a, a diverse set of subjects that you like to photograph. For example, I was looking through your gallery um, from the Americas and probably three fourths of the images aren't what you would consider typical like landscape you know photos it's a lot of industrial scenes it's a lot of scenes of old signs and buildings and dilap like you were saying earlier like dilapidated structures and old cars and mm. then you also have these old signs from like times of the past and and then you mm. also have this whole series of images where you've photographed like interstates and overpasses and trucks with commercial yeah. vehicles driving on top of them. So I was yeah. really curious kind of what draws you to these disparate um, subject matters. Uh, well, I, Cause I photographed landscapes, you know, pretty landscapes um, in the, with the intention of creating decor pieces for my gallery. Um, yeah. I've done that for so long. I kind of was a little bit um, getting a little bit bored of that. So, and <laughs> yeah. because you know, it's all been done to, done to death, and I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't work out how to to create something different. So, um, but about ten years ago, I met an American guy. We were doing a, a project for a, um, a a company in Perth. It was basically photographing a region called the Pilbara region in Western Australia, which is um, it's a massive region. It's it's basically all mostly desert and uh, red dirt. It's a classic outback, Australian outback, what you what you guys would probably consider our outback. Um, so very sparse, um, uh, flat desert regions, but beautiful because um, you have these white um, gum trees and um, snappy gums and white gums. They're really beautiful trees and in these areas of spin effects, which is like a, a spiky grass and, and red red rocks, red earth. It's really quite quite beautiful colours. Um, anyway, we were doing this project and um, he was going to curate this exhibition from the work. There was a bunch of us, there was five of us all together doing this project, five photographers. And um, uh, his name was uh, Bill Fox or William Fox and he's a he's a director of a, an altered landscape or yeah, Nolte Landscape Museum in Reno, Nevada, I believe. Okay. Um, uh, and he's a very smart man. He's, he's a writer. He writes. He's wrote a book for NASA on flying to the to Mars or something. Um, so quite, quite, quite a, a smart, smart guy. Anyway, he looked at our photos and he looked at my photos in particular and said, "Look, you know, yeah, they're beautiful photos, but show me something that um, I haven't seen before, and and show me something that can't be seen." So he, he he's those words really resonated with me. He's like, show me something that can't be seen. And I thought, mm. well, hang on, I, I take photos. You've got to be able to see it. If I uh, you know, if I'm going to take a photo, like, I have to be able to see it. I, what's wrong with it? And I think, God, this guy, <laughs> this bloody crazy American. He's you know, he's put me. He's what's he what's he talking about? I don't understand. Anyway, I went to bed that night because we we're all staying together up in up in this town, this town called Caratha, up in the Pilbara. It's a mining town. And I woke up in the morning and, and I thought none of the other guys wanted to get out. They were all kind of disillusioned and pissed off because this guy had told us that our photos were all pretty pretty average, um, which is fair enough. And um, 
I uh, I got up and, and I was the only one that went out shooting and I took my camera out and I drove around and I, and I was looking at this really horrible town that I was in. It was just average. This it's old. The architecture is nothing spectacular. It's not old. It's not beautiful. It's it's just really banal and just run down. It's a really hot place. So like forty degrees is a you know is a good temperature there. You know, it can get up to over forty, sometimes close to fifty degrees in the in the summer. This is um centigrade, not Fahrenheit. So one hundred and ten sort of stuff. You know, and um, all the time and. Um, there was nothing. I was just looking at these buildings, going, "God, oh, what is this?" And then, and then it made me. Then I thought, "Hang on, show me something that can't be seen." He's talking about a, a mood or a story or a, an idea, um, not something that's literal. But you know, like I, one of the things I photographed was this clothesline at the back of this petrol station, a gas station for you guys. Petrol station, we call them over here, and and it was a clothesline that had all this work gear on. So it's a high vis work gear, and it was just. That's all it was on this clothesline, and I photographed that, and and that told me a story about the workers up there and 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 the lifestyle. The people up there, all they wear is their work gear. They don't have. There was no other clothes hanging on that line. It was all um, things for work. There was no, you know, going out best clothes. You know, no board shorts and t-shirts, and um, it was all work gear. And another shot, which is one of my favorite shots of all time, it was probably the first one that I took, was the side of this Chinese restaurant. And um, it was that had a Coca Cola sign on it. It was all faded, and the Chinese restaurant sign was faded, and it was all it was because it'd been hit by the sun every morning for for years and years, and just got cooked. And it had all these air conditioners on the side of the building, and this old fence that came up that obviously from the from the above the um, the uh, hot plates and all that sort of stuff, and they were all greasy and and scorched and. And I looked and I thought, wow, who would eat at this restaurant? You know, that that was the first thing. And there's like it really told me something about the town that we were in and what people have to accept in these places. And so, yeah, as soon as I saw that, as I said, as soon as I started to think, show me something that can't be seen, I was seeing everything. I was seeing all these things that were talking to me about climate change and and our effect on the planet and how we do things. And um, it was awesome. My whole outlook changed and I realised at that point that a good photograph doesn't have to be a beautiful landscape of Yosemite. It can be the back alley of some shitty town in some place in the world if that image can tell you something about that, that the people or that place or or can it can be a, a metaphor for, for something else. And that's why I, I love going back to America now to photograph all the banal urban scenes because to me they 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 just mean so much more than than, than the the iconic places. Um, and the best thing about them is that you, you're always shooting it on your own. You never have to worry about anyone else getting your shot because no one wants to photograph <laughs> that stuff. <you> know? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I tell you, I, you guys have have the best um, banal urban scenes over there. It's it's just like mind blowing. I, I was influenced by. Um, Stephen Shaw's works, and and the, uh, I did a bit of research into the new topographics um, uh, movement that happened. It was an exhibition back in 1975 in America, and and I loved that work. It was um, uh, basically basically images of of uh, the landscape that had been altered by man, and um, that became a real focus. So for the last ten years, I've been I've been doing heaps of that, 
and I, I enjoy that more than going down to the beach and photographing a beautiful, you know, sunrise sort of thing. So yeah, that's why I, mean, I think, it. Yeah. Well, I think what's um, really fun about that is that it um, it drills down to the essence of what makes photography a great art form and that it can tell a story. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think images like that can tell all kinds of different stories, especially depending on who's actually viewing the the photo. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, it is. It's everyone has a, a different interpretation of, of something they see. And um, I mean, our job as artists is generally, you, if you have a contemporary piece, you'll you'll have a, a, a some writings that'll go with it to talk about you know, what you what you feel it, it says and um, what your intentions are. And, and that's that's great. But um, look, I, I, it's not as sellable that sort of work. So we don't have much of it in the gallery. And and I'll I'll do separate exhibitions of that sort of work. I did have one. I did a um, uh, an exhibition called Midwest, and that was our. Um, I went out to our wheat belt areas, to our, all our little shitty towns out in the middle of nowhere that people just drive through in a hurry to get through because they're just so dire. They're just horrible places, and <laughs> they're in, they're in horrible areas. So I went out and did a um, four days shooting in all these towns, the ones that I could find, and I created this exhibition that was really successful. Uh, of thirty five pieces, we sold twenty eight. And um, nice. but they were they were all you know the sides of buildings this sort of stuff you know um, rubbish bins and 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 these sort of things but they were done quite nicely and I tried to edit them to to make them a more cartoony a bit more illustrative a bit more pastel I take a lot of the contrast out and um, you know lights over I'll, I'll photograph in fairly average light. So, you know, that's the best thing. You don't have to get up for sunrise. You just sleep in, have <laughs> breakfast, and, and then out you go. The, the best light's happening between, you know, 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So it's brilliant. Um, and, and, you know, so I, even if it's bright sunlight and it's really contrasty, you just strip all that contrast out in post and they become these um, quite graphic, nice, illustrative-looking images. So, yeah, that's, that's – well, I love that sort of stuff, so. Yeah, well, and like you said, it's it's unique. Like a lot of people just drive right by it, but if you can find a story in one of those scenes, it becomes your story to tell. Mm, that's right. Yeah, it is, and um, and there's so much of it. There's so many different ways to interpret these places, and uh, I, I do it here in my little town. We've got an industrial area, and, and um, I went out the other day and I found the back of the tire shop. He had a whole pile of old tires stacked up. And I it started making me think about the photos I saw um, that um, Edward Batinsky did of the of the big tire yards over in America, and, mm. um, and this was only on a much smaller scale, but it, it, it had that influence on me. I thought, oh, I, I've seen tire shots that look quite amazing, and if I can just simplify it all, um, uh, then I'll, I'll I'll get something here. So, you know, and I did. So, um, yeah, I, lo- I love that. But look, you know, saying that, I was out this morning. This, we've got a place called Bunker Bay down here, and it's beautiful, steep cliffs with um, coming down straight down to the ocean with um, beautiful um, peppy trees and these um, really quite sculptural trees that are on the coast. And so I was down there photographing that this morning, albeit a little bit hungover. My wife <laughs> actually, my wife dragged me out. And she says, "Come on, I think it's going to be a nice sunrise." And I'm going, <laughs> "I didn't want to tell her I was a little bit hungover." <laughs> and uh, that she dragged me down there, and um, yeah, it was it was good. And of course, I I'm I'm using two cameras at the moment. I've got uh, I've just bought a Leica system, so I'm using the Leica SL2 and a bunch of lenses. But I also was given a uh, the Lumix S1R to play with, 
uh, from Panasonic, and um, uh, I, I've, I've been using the two, but I've only got one plate for my tripod, and I've been swapping in between cameras. So I went out this morning. I get down there, and it's like this, it's dark. It's still dark, and I pull the camera out of the bag, and I look at my wife and say, oh, shit. And I said, I bloody left a plate on the other camera. So I didn't have the, the Lumix with me. So I had to handhold everything. But luckily, the SL2 has that 5.5 stop image stabilised sensor. So I was shooting at half a second, handheld and getting sharp shots. You know, uh, wow. it's, incre- it's incredible. Um, it's actually, it's, it's very liberating uh, being able yeah. to do that. And uh, so good at high ISO, that thing as well, that camera. So I just whacked it on 400 ISO. It was handholding most of the stuff. And I haven't had a good look because I, I basically... Uh, we were coming home and Jen goes, what time's your podcast? And I looked down and it was like it was 17 minutes past seven. I went, oh, we're going to get home and had to throw some, throw some groceries down the hatch, which means have some food, and then, um, and then um, yeah, start talking. So, You know, one of the, um, the other things I really love about your work and the uh, Scott McCook work is um, these – Super abstract, haunting aerial images of mm. of coasts and and mining regions and mm. and just agricultural sectors and just you know these scenes that just don't even look like they're from anywhere on the planet. I mean, just oh, and it, and they tell so many different stories and they have this amazing color palette and color story that goes with it. I mean, it's. I just find that kind of stuff fascinating. Like I can look at that kind of stuff all day long. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, I, I um, started shooting uh, landscapes, sorry, aerial, aerial uh, shots about 10 or 11 years ago and that was actually during that same project where that guy, uh, Will, William Fox, um, curated the exhibition. We, we Part of what we did was to get up in the air because um, – when I flew into this town called Karatha, they've got some uh, dampier salts there. They have their salt farms. So I remember flying in and going on, the, on a commercial flight, looking out and going, wow, look at those salts, um, look at those salt farms. They look pretty amazing. And I think at that stage, I'm not sure if, if Google Maps was around or it might have just, oh, been, right. in, in, might have just been in the infancy. Um, so we, we never really looked at the earth on Google Maps and looked and thought, hey, there's some good aerials. Um, and um, so that's what I started doing it. We uh, we hired a, a Cessna and we went flying over that uh, those salt farms and got some really cool abstracts. And then after that, it was like, wow, this is really nice stuff. So my brother came up with an idea to um, go to a place called Shark Bay, which is um, yeah. up up the coast from us, and 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 that has some of the most beautiful. Uh, uh, shallow waters and red earth and white sandy beaches and tidal patterns and mangroves. It's really quite a diverse area. So we went up there and did a whole week. Uh, the five of us went up there, hired a Cessna, and we had the Cessna for a week and we just flew over that area. And that became a really uh, popular spot for aerial photographers. And um, that's where Scott uh, has done a lot of his work at Shark Bay. And you know, amazing, and he's he's taken his to the next level again. You know, his has become even more abstract, and you know, with his colours palette that he uses and and stuff, and pushing the images and uh, in different ways. And so, yeah, we, we um, you know started doing this, and it created a whole movement of aerial photographers in in Australia. And we've got some of the best landscapes for aerials, and because we, 
you know, very not very populated. We're you know, able to um, to do a lot of things, you know, with drones and stuff that probably it might be a bit harder to do in other places in the world. And um, so, uh, even though Australia is so it's very flat, we we have lots of salt lakes and lots of weird uh, formations in the um, in the earth. You know, so um, the wheat belt itself is is dry, and because it's been over farmed, all the salt uh, levels are risen and um, so you get a lot of these salt lakes that have formed and they're all different colours and different shapes. And so you just get on, if you get on Google Earth, if any of your people get on Google Earth now um, that are listening and and look at Western Australia and just zoom around, you'll, you'll find these um, they're the ancient riverbeds but they've all dried up and formed these little salt ponds and, and they all connect. There's a town called Esperance if you're at the very bottom of Western Australia if you go up from there, you'll you'll see literally tens of thousands of tiny little salt lakes that are that are out there, and they're all it's amazing, it's incredible stuff. So oh yeah, it's, it's, I mean you have this other shot called um, Market Gardens, Perth. Oh yeah, and yeah. it and it goes from like brown to green to lime green to gray to orange. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's yeah, yeah. wild. Yeah, and it's just yeah, farming, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just that's a big market garden area, and yep. So they have all sorts of different soils and crops, and and um, yeah, it, yeah. I did that that particular shoot. I uh, I flew up from down here. That's about three hundred k's north of where I live, and but we got assessed and flew all the way up the coast and flew around and uh, flew over a lot of the industry there because that's that's quite close to some of the uh, the heavy industry that uh, that there is south of Perth around Quinana, and so. Yeah, I was seeing these things um, like big, big yards, big bitumized yards full of in, individual little parts for mining equipment and, and like big for big rigs, oil rigs and stuff like that. And, and you'd see all these little parts on the ground uh, in pieces. And it was like a, um, I'm not sure if you ever made a model airplane before, but you know, uh-huh. the, all the old DFX models and stuff, they, you know, you get put out, you'd, you pull out the pieces and they're all joined together in this little grid pattern. Oh, and, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and they're all numbered. And it just looked like that. And so I, I love doing aerial stuff. You know, a lot of the times in the past I was shooting out of Cessnas or helicopters, whatever was available and whatever I could afford. But but now I've got my drone, so I just use the drone for most of that now. And um, some does amazing yeah, job. Yeah, I'm curious for this aerial work that's in the – kind of industrial areas or the areas that are mining are are you hoping to have i mean obviously they're very artistic and they're well done and they're beautiful mm. but are you hoping that they that they have other effects in terms of you know spreading awareness about certain topics or yeah i, I mean i, I always like that because I'm, I'm quite an environmentalist i i have a, a real concern about what's going on but i'm also a realist and i know that um, our economy does rely on mining, and I have no qualms with anyone that that works in the mining industry. I, I do. Um, I am a little bit upset with the big companies that don't do the right thing and don't pay their fair share of taxes and and, uh, and make a make a real mess. Um, and I'm and I'm definitely against the industries that aren't sustainable anymore. But um, yeah, look, I, I I photograph beautiful things, and I photograph the ugly side of industry that you don't see but it's but it's actually not ugly it's actually quite 
beautiful when you look at some of these tailings dams and stuff and some of the colors and the patterns that are created are quite remarkable so yeah um i in the real world i mean in the perfect world i'd love to for us to switch the way we do things but i don't, I don't know how that's going to happen but i do hope that my images will, will convey some message but i don't um i don't expect that you know one you know, things that i do are going to make you know a huge amount of difference because I mean, although some images have, and and um, we were just speaking to Art Wolf the other day, and he he had images that that, that changed uh, the path of of some regions and some things that were happening. Um, I can't remember exactly what what it was now, but there's also um, there's a very famous Australian photographer who lived in Tasmania, Peter Dombrovskis, and he he photographed a, a, a river that was going to be dammed, and it was the Franklin River, and he had this one particular photograph. Uh, I think it was called Rock Island Bend. It was a famous photograph of, of this beautiful scene on this river, and it was going to go if if it was, if that was dam was going to go ahead. That 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 beautiful piece of nature was going to be destroyed, which is basically going to be underwater. So that photo was sent to the new prime minister, which was um, um, Bob Hawke. He was a Labor guy, and he um, he saw that photo. He says, "We can't do this. We can't destroy that." that space so the the damming never went ahead so that was uh, protected because mainly because that photo changed the politician's mind um and and um so that was good so it can happen i don't know if any of my images will ever save anything but (laughs) well i think of um images like yours and and jay henry fair and and scott mccook people like you guys that are doing those awesome aerials I guess for me, what it does is it gets people to just start thinking about it. You know, it's like a, it's like, what is that? And then you start to, oh my God, that's a giant, it's like 10 football size, football field size of of mining. Holy crap. What are they using that for? You know, and it starts at, you start asking yourself all these questions and it's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's just quite scary when you see it and, um, you know, sometimes I mean Australia is a big place, but if you um, if you looked at some of the if you go and, and see uh, how many mines there are through our Pilbara region, how much fracking they want to try and do in the you know, up in the Kimberley, it's it is pretty it's pretty awful. And and the, the first thing is that we don't need it. You know, we don't need to frack for for gas because we know that. Um, renewables are cheaper we just need to have uh, a government that's not in the pocket of these big industries and um and uh, do the right thing i mean who would have thought that our governments could um put spend so much money on this virus um and and basically shut down economies shut down countries because of this little virus um yet we've got the threat of um catastrophic climate change you know happening and we just stick our heads in the sand and just go about business as usual, you know. Oh, we, no, we can't mess up the economy because, you know, because of that we can't stop mining coal and burning coal because, you know, that's that's not good, not good for the economy. But hey, this little virus, um, which sure, look, it, it has killed millions, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. Um, but um, you know, it's just it makes me think if we really wanted to act on climate change, we could, but. Um, that we're just not so i guess it's not a pressing need right now and it's not until we we can actually see 
people dying from climate change, which they are anyway, that, um, you know, that it's, um, you know, you need, you need right, 10,000 people, to, you need 10,000 people to die every day from climate change and, and be able to, to go, hey, yes, they died from that before so anyone do anything about it. So, but look, right. you know, that's, it's a, I, I, I hope for good things to happen, but I, I don't expect that my my input in in the world affairs is going to make any difference. It's <laughs> really <laughs> I'm just a, a bum photographer from a small town in in three hundred k south of the most isolated city in the world. So who am I, really? Um, I've just got to try and do what I can and um, and you know teach my kids to do the right thing, and um, that's that's all I can do. Yeah, really? no, I hear you. you know, well, uh, I mean, I, we've talked about that particular topic about a billion times on the podcast, and I'm right there with you. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it's, it's, it's a, it is something that's going to affect all of us and our kids more so. And uh, it's all it's all forgotten about at the moment. Everything's about coronavirus. So all the news has changed. All the a lot of governments are doing little sneaky things, trying to push things through under the cloak of secrecy because all the media is that attention is focused on coronavirus so right. yeah it's um yeah, it's kind of got a bit of a back seat but sometimes look i you know i get depressed about it and think about it all the time and my wife and i we talk about it all the time and but um you know we just got to do what we can do and and uh not worry about things that we can't control and that's that's the hardest thing but it I is know. i agree I mean, but I think uh, that, like you said, you know, you like yourself and the majority of the people around the world do care about climate change and they do want to make changes, but they are so busy in their lives just trying to make a living and trying to, you know, get their kids through high school or primary school or whatever or to, you know, put food on the table. It makes it really difficult. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, look, I, I'm a chairman of, a, of an environmental group down here um, where we try to promote more renewable energy in our town and our region, and um, I haven't I haven't had time to even think about that sort of stuff because all I'm thinking about now is my gallery doors are shut. I need to make at least three thousand dollars a week out of the gallery just so that we don't lose it. So mm. my whole aim and focus is get the website going and try to make you know keep social media up, try to get the message out there that we're still here and we're open and. You know, you can still buy pictures; you just can't see them. Or well, you can actually come to the gallery if you want by appointment. So, so yeah, so you, you know, your you, you, your focus changes. And, I was and, gonna say, uh, now you're just like the rest of us who sell our, sell their prints online. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, oh no, now I know how everyone feels. It's it's quite uh, it's quite daunting. But look, you know, well, it's different for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You just never know when that sale is going to come in. You open up your emails in the morning. And go, oh, did we get an order last night? Oh no, nope. no, yeah. still, still didn't make any money today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, oh, look, I'll. Uh, there's something I'll do. I don't, I don't know if I, if if this ever comes to a screeching halt, I'll find something to do. I'm I'm not too worried that I won't be able to do something. I don't know what it'll be yet, but I have lots of bright sure. ideas. Most of them are just crazy ideas that never work. My wife says I, I, I'm a. She calls me the month, uh, the monthly man, or was it the weekly man? The monthly man, I think. Every month I have a different idea, and I do it for a few days, and then I forget about it, and on to the next idea. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah, it's another one of your monthly ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do this time? Okay, mm-hmm, okay, good. Let's see how that goes. And 
<laughs> I, I was glad to hear that you're not the only one that has a wife that's that supportive of your ideas. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm being sarcastic, of course. Yeah, yeah. My wife, she's um, she's an amazing lady. She's been um, she's pretty much got me off my bum and and made me um, into who I am today. With my not just work wise, but as a person, and you know my morals and ethics and and all that stuff have been hugely influenced by her. And um, she always says, and um, and your body, you won't know what this is, but she says, if if she hadn't met me, um, I would still be a bogan doing burnouts. Um, and um, oh, yeah, what bogan, is that? Bogan is a, like a redneck, you know. Okay. You, you know, so because um, I, I grew up in a in a low socioeconomic area, and um, so we were all bogans back there. It was just this is it's what you are, you know. You, we didn't have any sure. You know, we all didn't know poor families. Yeah, and that's what you do. And um, she yeah. says that she she dragged me out of that, and and uh, but I still got a bit of the bogan in me. I, I still like to, you know, drive fast down in my driveway at least, <laughs> not on the main <laughs> road. I wouldn't do that on the road, but down my driveway, it's 150 meters long, and I can I can go pretty fast down there. So <laughs> I don't do burnouts. So I don't do burnouts on my driveway. But <laughs> yeah. Well, you've you've lasted this long, so you must be doing something right. Yeah, that's right. I'm 55 this year. Haven't haven't had a touch wood. Haven't had a car crash. I haven't. I haven't. Knock uh, on wood, right? Yeah, knocking on some wood right now. And um, yeah, I've always been a responsible driver and never been picked up for drunk driving or anything like that. Although, well, let's not that, let's not make that happen during during the coronavirus. <laughs> no. Yeah, well, actually, one thing I did see yesterday, which kind of um, upset me a little bit, was that. The police, you know, they had their speed camera out on on one of our local roads, and I thought, um, I mean, you guys obviously have speed cameras as well, you know. They they put them in the bush and they take photos of you. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, this thing. I thought, well, hang on. Most of the town is shut down. At least half of the people have lost their jobs, and you've got your speed camera out, and you're going to find people. I thought, you bastards, <laughs> you can't do that. But <laughs> you rotten right. cop. <laughs> Come on, we got no Come money. On. Yeah, exactly. They just have a bit of fun on the roads for for a change. But, um, I know they've got a job to do. I know that. So, but yeah, it's like, oh god, I can't believe they're actually doing that. Anyway, yeah, that's Australia. Well, it's a harsh place. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about uh, your podcast. Yeah, well, the podcast uh, was an idea of my mate at the moment, Carwin. He goes by the name of Carwin, uh, and that's it. It's, um, well, he has a second name, but he doesn't like to use it. And um, he rang me a year ago and said, look, um, I'm thinking of, I'd like to do a – I want to do this podcast thing. I want to I want, I want to do a segment on a radio station, actually, because he was into radio. He says, look, you know, can I ring you up and, and, and we can just chat about things and I'll ask you some questions about photography and we'll just, you know, we'll just do that and see how it goes. I said, yeah, that's okay. So we did our first one and it was all right. And then, and then it kind of went away for – quite a while and then um he came back and said look mate i'd really like to get this podcast idea off do you, would you like to do do something you know we could just start out and just talk about some different subjects and i said okay well let's just try it and see how we go because he's a photographer but he's not he's, he's not you know been doing it as long as i have so he's more into the radio side of things and um that sort of stuff but he still takes photos and, and all that so we got um doing that and and he created this uh podcast uh for this buzzsprout i think we're on um so a little home page and whatever where you could upload the stuff and then um 
we started the name Light Minded and then um, we were doing this. And I said, look, I think we need to get other people, other photographers and, and you know, interview them and, and get them on because I, I've only got so much I can say and, and <laughs> so we need to get new people each week. So so he goes, okay, let's try that. So we started getting going through all my friends and getting them on and, and um uh, and then you know, starting to get other people and then trying to get some bigger names throughout from around the world to, to get on. And that, like you said, it's very hard, especially when they're in North America and, you know, you got to try and get the timing set up. And um, I've been lucky enough to meet some pretty cool photographers from around the world in my travels and, and you know, done workshops with these guys and stuff. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I've you know, got some of the bigger names in the UK and obviously we spoke to Art Wolf uh, last uh, couple of days ago. Um, and that was great, but I'd, I'd met Art. We'd done a trip to Antarctica together, and um, we were co co instructors on, on a trip there. And then we did another trip through the Kimberley region of Western Australia on a boat. So um, I knew him from there, and we got on pretty well. So so yeah, I just been calling on people that I know, and, and we're just going to expand that now. We've got another mate, Tony Hewitt, who I think you should interview as well. He's Tony's an amazing uh, Australian photographer, and he's Tony's going to to get people that he knows. And come along, and then there'll be there'll be four of us on the podcast chatting. So you know, it's like oh, yeah. we're going. Like I said, you know, to Carmen, we need to um, get more content, uh, but then get other people to help us with that content because uh, it's so hard to do it all yourself and try and make a living. Because obviously, we don't make any money out of it. Um, so it's a love thing, really. But it's become more popular, and you know, I don't know how many listens you get, but um, we're yeah, you know, we're getting seven or eight hundred people listening to our podcasts a week. Um, so you know, we just we just want to try and build that up until it, you know, until we get some you know good numbers, um, and obviously crack into the American market because everyone in Australia has heard our rubbish. You know, they've <laughs> got a lot of a lot of American people that might like to hear some some good Aussie humour, um, and because most of the people that we interview are Australians. Um, yeah, so you had um, Aaron Babnick and also yes. Ricardo de Cuna and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rick's Rick's great, and and Erin Erin is awesome. She she was um, so supportive and um, was very complimentary, and she enjoyed our interviewing style because it was a little bit more relaxed and um, you know bit right. typ- typical Aussie style. You know, she'll be right, mate. You know, nothing too serious. You know, very uh, very unprofessional and all that sort of stuff. So I think she enjoyed that, but she she pushed it out to her her client base, and that went. That was so. Her podcasts are the, the most widely listened to out of all of ours that we've done. So, um, but yeah, Rick Rick Kuno, he's he's an awesome guy, um, really creative, just a, a lovely person as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you spoken to Rick? You should speak to Rick. No, I haven't yet, but um, I think we're going to try to make it happen someday for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Rick. Um, all, all those guys that Rick's in a part of a group called the Light Collective. And they're, 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 all of them are great photographers. So, you know, Adam Williams, you should speak to him. Um, he does, does some great Photoshop stuff in, here in Australia. Um, obviously Rick and um, Ignacio Palacios. He's, oh, yeah. He's, he's done lots of travelling around the world. Um, and uh, Paul Holan, we spoke to Paul uh, a few weeks back. We're going to have him on a – we'll be putting his podcast up pretty soon. He lives in Tasmania, real real environmentalist. Got a great story as well. Um, works with um, he worked f- uh, from an early age with dis- disadvantaged kids and took them out into the wilderness and stuff like that to try and 
Oh, very cool. Yeah, so he's he's a great guy to talk to. So, um, yeah, so I'd, I'd be getting onto them. But, but yeah, the podcast has been this has been fun. You know, just, yeah, it's uh, a good it's a good project to have, and it definitely um, you know it opens doors to all kinds of interesting relationships and ideas and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So it's been really fun for me to do it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many people have you spoken to over the years? Oh God, I think I'm up to like 160 now. Yeah, right. Heaps. Yeah. yeah, heaps. Heaps, as you guys like to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that one. Yeah. We've had, had well, a few. <laughs> we've had a few. Um, when we've had a few Americans on, we've asked them on our podcast, um, you know, what certain Aussie slang words might mean. And uh, so that's always quite good fun. You know, yeah, we'll say, heaps yeah. is a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't think that was a um, – I thought everyone used heaps. but um, No, I mean, we like, you could – I mean, I think we have the equivalent. Like you can say, oh, that, that's quite the heap, you know, or it's a heap yeah. pile. Yeah, but right. no one uses it as like a like an adjective. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see Australia was founded on criminals, basically. So the English, right. sent, English sent all their um, bad people out to Australia. Um, then they right. came out and, and slaughtered, just basically just, just about destroyed the entire population of Aboriginals, um, you know, uh, as well, which is really bad. I mean, the genocide that went on over here was terrible. So we were basically brought up on we 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 all evolved from genocidal maniacs and criminals. So that's why Australia right. is so so edgy. It's a bit edgy, you know. And of course, every as you know, everything in Australia wants to kill you. So whether it's a spider or a snake or a, some sort of animal, but generally only small things, but they kill you pretty bad, blurring octopus and stuff like stonefish and the list goes on. We have all those things. Um, so Australia is a pretty rotten place if you um, if you really you know, think about all the horrible things that have happened in this country. <laughs> but generally Australians are pretty, pretty cool people. I was going to say most of the Australians I've talked to are pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, well, they're, you know, like every every um and same same way in america i loved america and i loved americans and every time you travel they always seem so friendly and and they're always you know you say you're from australia and they just want to take you home it's like oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah come down you know if you want to come down we're having a party or we're doing this we're doing that and it's like oh okay yeah no, no worries. <laughs> it's 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 all about the accent yeah i think so and, and um, although that's that was thanks to um, probably Crocodile Dundee, you know, when that came out, right, that movie. Right. Paul Hogan, I think, really did that for um, for Australia and America. But um, I think that's probably changed a little bit now because there's probably heaps of Australians over that way and, you know, half of Hollywood actors are Australians these days. And, um, yeah, so we're, we're just a dime a dozen now. But uh, I, I must say I, I do um, I do like um, Americans and and. American movies and and culture and, and and when you're traveling through America, you do feel like you're in a movie set the whole time. You know, you just drive through somewhere and go, well, "Hang on, I've seen that in a movie," or I right. feel like I'm in, I feel like I'm in a movie. It's uh, it's a really interesting place to to travel. And I I did two trips recently in the last few years, and um, road trips mostly. And one I did with my mate Tony Hewitt. We were there for phase one and, and we were basically just told to go photograph whatever we want. So we decided that we were going to do this altered landscape stuff, this banal urban stuff. So we, we drove from San Francisco up through not the Midwest but left of the Midwest, west of the Midwest, um, up to Canada and I had to drop in Canada and then I had to come back down through to San Francisco. 
but we went through the Palouse and all these places, uh, Wyoming. But we we drove around because um, we came out of San Francisco and we drove around um, Yosemite. It's like okay, Yosemite is probably one of the most beautiful places on earth that I've ever been to. But we're like, no, nah, we're not here for that. We're not going there. So we actually drove around the top of it and just avoided it all together. <laughs> right. We just went looking for all the, the shittiest little towns we could find between there and the, the top of the country. So, you know, we well, would look at the map. If America does have one thing, it's a lot of shitty little towns. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but they're so good. I love it. And um, I they love are. that. They are. I love the whole Americana thing and, um, you know, the flags and all that sort of stuff. It's it's really, yeah, it's it's cool. I like it. It's um, it's just so good to photograph. It is, yeah. Um, and the food is all, it's all a bit different. And um, you know, if yeah, just going into the supermarkets is a different experience. And yeah, it's, <laughs> even though Australia and America are very similar, there is things that are so different about them. So, right. Um, but yeah. Well, I know yeah, you've also no. got um, you've also got a. Uh, a training website that you've developed to do yeah. um, kind of eBooks and online tutorials. I uh, was curious if you could tell us a little bit about what kind of stuff you have to offer over there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, about um, 10 or more years ago, I started to teach because I was getting requests from people. Oh, look, you know, do you do any courses? Do you teach people? So I started, I was very nervous about um, public speaking. I couldn't get up in front of a crowd and talk. It was just the hardest thing for me to do, and, and I just every time, and it was I was getting more more requests all the time. Can you come and talk to our camera club, or can you? We've got a conference coming up. Can you be one of the keynote speakers? And I'm like, Ugh, no, 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 sorry, I can't make that day. I'm very busy. Anyway, eventually my wife got me out of it. So one of the ways um, she pushed me was saying, okay, well you need to go do some do some workshops. Just do them at, at the gallery, open them up, and do um, uh, just do you know an evening course. And, and see how you go. So and just do small small group of people. So I started out doing like eight people come to the gallery and I would just I'd just a slideshow presentation about my work and the things I did and how I did things and I showed them some Photoshop that I did and stuff like that. But before I could do that, I had to I had to basically chuff half a bottle of wine to, to get a little <laughs> bit tipsy just so I wasn't so nervous. So you know, so I would start this my first workshop I I knocked off half a bottle of wine in in about five minutes and I got a bit of a buzz out of that and I just, I just relaxed a bit. And then after the first five minutes, I realised I wasn't sucking that badly. Um, I started to enjoy it and then it was the rest of it was easy. But the, the next time I did one, I, I I only had to drink half that amount of wine, just enough to give me a little bit of an edge and then eventually <laughs> it was less and less. And eventually then I, I got to the point where I could do these talks in front of a 1,000 people and not have to have any alcohol at all. So that was good. That was a good, good little thing. So... Part of that training that I did is obviously going and doing trips around different places and taking groups, as a lot of people have done and do. Um, but then I started up a, an online tutorial. So basically you can sign up to my uh, training website for $99 for the year and it gives you access to over 60-odd video tutorials I have. And they're basically mostly on Photoshop because that's my tool of trade. That's what I like to use. I don't use Lightroom. Um, I do the, the bare minimum in the raw processing software and then go straight to um, Photoshop because that's where I can get the creativity and the control that I want. Um, so, yeah, yeah. so that you can sign up and you can watch the videos on any device uh, for that year, anyone for that year. And um, 
um, and it teaches you how I do Photoshop. So it's so everything that's in there is techniques that I use that have created my style. So um, you know, people say, you know, how do you develop a style? And, and generally, it's it's basically about how you edit your photos and what what techniques you use and what combination of techniques together to create the look that you have. And as you get comfortable with these techniques, you use more of them and use them in different ways, and then eventually that is your style. So when people look at my urban banal stuff, they go, oh, that looks like one of Christian's because I know that I know that kind of washed out look that he's getting and, and I know how to do that because he showed me how to do that on his training site. So so if anyone that likes my work, my editing and, and um, wants to know how I've done that, then that's what the training site's all about. And um, yeah, I upload uh, new videos uh, when I can and, um, and yeah, just keep trying to keep it up to date with the what's going on and um i was gonna say meanwhile meanwhile like all these photographers now that don't have a bunch of you know digital stuff going on are scrambling to try to create it because they're stuck at home and they can't do workshops (laughs) yeah yeah that's right exactly yeah so you're about to have a ton of uh competitors (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I know, and, and all my friends are doing that. They're all um, coming out with uh, online stuff, and and my wife said, "Oh, look, we need we need to get onto that." And, and I said, "Oh no, let's just sit back and watch what everyone else does, and then um, yeah, we can we can arc it up um, after that because um, you know everyone's the, the the horse is already bolted. Everyone's doing stuff now anyway, so I'll just sit back and wait for. Um, uh, I mean, that, that that training is not a big part of what we do. Ultimately, um, you know, and I've pulled back from a lot of the touring now because I, I just wanted to concentrate on my own work for a while and stay stay close to home because we've got some beautiful places. I mean, you know, I've I've got I've done all the locations down here. I've photographed them all before, but I haven't explored them enough. So I'm going to go out to the same spot over several days and try and find new angles, new light, new new ideas. So. Plus, I've I've got some studio lighting that I want to mess around with, and um, you know that that's going to be um, um, trying to find ways to to light a subject and make it a bit more interesting. Very you know, cool. It, it's a, like a, I, I unfortunately I've thought with this coronavirus shutdown and everything, I, I would have more time to do things, but I'm actually finding that we're busier just trying to make a living because we've got to try and. Give this people things to to look at and to respond to, and isn't that interesting? <laughs> sorry, mate. Sorry, you just cracked up there for a sec. I said, isn't that interesting? How you thought you'd have a lot more time, but you don't. Yeah, no, I don't have any time. So <laughs> I don't, it's, like, it's like oh, I'm really bummed out, and and the days just keep flying by. And before I know it, it's the end of the day, and we're thinking about getting dinner organized. So I've got two teenage kids, and um, they're kind of easy now because. They don't want to know us, which is fantastic. But they, but they're demanding. Oh, there's nothing in the fridge. What, you know, what are we going to eat? Right. You, know, you know, can you go get some food? And I said, what, what do you, what, what food do you want? Oh, can you get some chips? <laughs> it's like that's not food. <laughs> you know. So anyway, yeah, teenagers, uh, you know, they wear you down a bit. But um, yeah, yeah, I hear that. I've got a twelve-year-old um, myself. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, he's uh, he he or she. Uh, he and he's he, yeah. he's definitely exhibiting the same things like oh what do we have for dinner you know yeah, it's like yeah. two o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> yeah 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 kids they're, they're precious little angels aren't they they um absolutely they, 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 they love you when they want something and but they'll come around i believe they will but 
Um, but my wife and I now, the beauty of it is that you know, my son's 16, my daughter's 14, and we get up and, and we just leave the house and go off and do what we want to do and we don't even tell them what we're doing now because they're old enough to look after themselves at home and we get home and they're still not, you know, we get home at 9 o'clock and they're still in bed. So Right. Yeah, just <laughs> not, on, not on a school day, obviously, but uh, their, their schools are all shut down as well, so now they're studying. I know. But we're on school, they're on school holidays at the moment, so... It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it is weird. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think their schools will probably open again. Australia is so good. Uh, we've got so few cases, and we seem to be right. on it. That I'm pretty sure they'll open the schools up again, and um, and that'll be uh, that'll be fine. So it'll give us parents a break, right? Yeah. Well, Christian, who would you recommend we have here on the podcast? I know you, earlier you said. Peter Eastway and yep. Tony Hewitt. Tony Hewitt, yep. Um, yep. Definitely guys worth talking to. Uh, another good mate of mine is a guy named Nick Rains, and uh, it's Rains as in the weather. Um, and he is uh, he runs the Liker Academy over here in Australia. Um, really knowledgeable guy. Um, he, he does mainly uh, travel and documentary style photography. So he's travelled all over the world, uh, you know, India, Cambodia, Burma, and obviously Antarctica, Iceland. I mean, name a spot he's been there. Um, he's good to, uh, of course, yeah, Ricardo. I think you said you were talking about Ricardo Takuna. Um, uh, Paul Holland. Uh, Holland. Paul Holland. Holland. Uh, it's P uh, H O L E A N, I think. Holland. Uh, he's one of the likely. So then Adam Williams, uh, guy from Sydney. Definitely, he's one of Rick's mates. Um, he's worth talking to, cool. and, and Ignacio um, Ignacio Palacios. Yeah, every time I see uh, that he has entered any photos into a contest, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to try that contest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does well. He's uh, he's a, he's a smart cookie. He came on uh, Ignacio came on one of our workshops to Caragini uh, in WA, and um, he knew. Um, what he was doing before he came to the workshop, I think oh, he came yeah. along. He came along to um, to to know that, <clears throat> just to verify that he knew what he was doing, uh, <laughs> and that, that we, you know, we weren't doing anything different to what he does. So yeah, he had an act from way from way back then. So he's a talented guy. Um, uh, the, the, if you want, if you want to talk to someone on a very deep level, um, someone who is uh, an absolute genius, someone who knows art and art photography and colour management and, and all that stuff better than anyone else in Australia. There's a guy named Les Walkling, uh, W-A-L-K-L-I-N-G, Walkling, L-I-N-G. Um, Les, is, Les is, he's like, um, he'd be the closest thing to God in, in Australia when it came to photography and uh, uh, and what his knowledge. And, and he... He um, is a, an educator. He's an academic. Um, he knows color management. He creates profiles and does all the color, detailed color work for the national um, galleries and museums and all this sort of stuff. You know, he's he's the man. I mean, no one in Australia touches Les on anything. Um, he's um, he's like a, um, a, a an encyclopedia of of all things photography. So, <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, he develops. He helped Canson develop paper, um, oh, stuff cool. like this. So, yeah, or you know, the nth degree of everything. But Les is an awesome guy, really a humble bloke. Um, 
very easy to talk to and and ask him the right questions, you'll get unbelievable content from him. You know, it's awesome. just yeah, his his mind is um, is just yeah. It, no, I've I've never experienced anyone like him in my life. So definitely get hold get hold of Les. Um, All right, I will I will definitely do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, uh, awesome, Christian. Do you have uh, anything else? Uh, mate, <clears throat> I'm spent. I'm um I need to um go get a coffee now because it's what time is it? Nine forty one a.m. here. Yeah. What was at- it you said earlier? Um, upend the groceries. Is that what you called it? Um, I got some groceries down the hatch. Down the hatch. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put some groceries, groceries down, the hatch. down the hatch. Well, <laughs> go go do that. <laughs> yeah. And um, thanks thanks so much for uh, for taking time out of your schedule to to chat. I really appreciate it. Uh, mate, my schedule at the moment, as you know, is uh, <laughs> lockdown. Trying to feed feed teenagers and try to keep uh, try to make some money to feed the teenagers. So, but yeah, right. no, I really appreciate it. I'm sorry it's taking so long to to get us together. And um, yeah. Oh uh, no worries, no worries at all. Things been getting in the way of good time, but it's been great chatting to you, mate. And I, I love what you're doing. And um, yeah, I really appreciate your time to to worry yeah. about talking to some guy in this in a small town in the you know, 300k south of uh, one of the most isolated cities in the world. Yeah, I, I like that description. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I go south, mate, it's just Antarctica. That's the only place I can get to from here. So. That's good. Well, <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thanks again. <laughs> yeah, good. All right, Matt. Cheers, mate. All right. Well, thanks so much to Christian for taking the time to chat with us this week. I had an absolute blast connecting with you, my friend. Also, thanks to our most recent Patreon supporters, including Sasha Gregory, Richard Kohler, and William Neal. I'm really looking forward to providing you all with content in this value for value model. I also wanted to tell you all about some upcoming opportunities to join me at two amazing photography conferences where I'll be teaching, recording podcasts, and moderating panel discussions with some of the world's best and brightest landscape photographers. First up, I'll be at Out of Moab from September 13th through 17th, which I think will be amazing, and I'll also be out of out at Out of Acadia from October 4th through the 8th. I would love to hang out with you there. I have a special offer just for podcast fans. You can get $250 off your registration for either of those conferences by using the code PAYNE, that's P-A-Y-N-E, at checkout. All right, well, here's what's coming up on the show. Got some really fun recordings coming up with Nick Carver, which was so much fun. Also, Drew Armstrong and I talk all about drones. It was really fun. Uh, I chatted with John Barkley. It was a fantastic conversation. I haven't recorded these yet, but looking forward to them. I'm doing one with Ethan Deshays, Todd Cottle, Manuel Palacios, Margaret Soraya, Joseph Roybal, Felix Inden, Elizabeth Brontano, and William Neal. It's going to be a fantastic summer, you guys. All right. Well, thanks for supporting the show. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. We'll see you next week.